If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into the whole story. Uh, the, 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 the David won. Say amen. amen. We all know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, we all know how big and bad he was, nine and a half foot tall. He was a monster, a monster. And, and everybody's familiar with the story of David and Goliath. If you're familiar with the story, say amen. amen. The little guy wins. Okay, if you're not familiar with the story, the little guy wins. The little guy accomplishes the impossible. The whole point, the whole point of this story is that the impossible with God is possible. Now, let me say that again. The whole point of this story is that the impossible with God is possible. Jesus even said, with God, all things are possible. Now, we're going to introduce you, and, and some of you, were, you're familiar with this, uh, the, the goal and the, the project we have in front of us. It's called Achieve. Achieve. Achieve stands for a church in every village everywhere. Say that with me. A all right, everybody at Fairview, y'all help me now. Y'all help me. Say it real loud up in the balcony. Let's, let's, let's say it. Let's say it with authority and like we believe it. Let's say it. A church in every village everywhere. Now, uh, on, the, on the outskirts looking at that, just that, that thought of having a church in every village everywhere seems impossible. It seems impossible. 6,000 6, unreached people groups, uh, places remotely around the world that do not have a Bible, do not have a church. There are no Christians. There is no gospel presence at all. And really, it seems impossible. But ladies and gentlemen, with God, all things are possible. Now, so with that being said, with that being said, I want to start in verse 17. If you're not familiar with the story, let me just give you a little brief uh, uh, overview of the story, and then we'll get to the point I want to make today, okay? Uh, I know this is a little weird. I ain't, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I have ever, I don't think I've ever preached in the Old Testament when it comes to missions month uh, or a missions message, but I was praying and praying, and God said, this is it. So I think we need to listen to what he has to say, Amen. And, and so this is going to sound a little crazy preaching about David and Goliath when it comes to missions month. But just let's, let's see what God has for us today. Here in this chapter, we find that the nation of Israel is in a war with the Philistines. The Philistines are on one mountain and the nation of Israel, the Israelites are on the other mountain. And the valley of Elah is in between. If that makes sense, say amen. So you got the Israelites over here and the Philistines over here. You got God's people over here and the wicked people of that are outside of the covenant. They're on this side. So you got good versus evil, just like it's been throughout the history of humanity. And then in the middle is a valley uh, where they would come together and fight. Well, everybody knows the story. Everybody knows about Goliath. This is not an unfamiliar thought or subject. Goliath is a giant. He is a giant. He is a monster. He is the hero of the Philistines. 
He is a fighter of all fighters. He is a military might that comes against them. And he comes down into this valley and said, hey, I'm a Philistine. I am your enemy. Send a man to fight with me. Send a man to fight with me. And if I win, y'all surrender. If he wins, then we'll surrender. And the Bible says that they all were scared, fearful, and fled from him. Nobody would engage him. Nobody would fight him. If that makes sense, say amen. Now, now David has brothers, older brothers. Remember, David is the runt. He's the baby of the family. He is watching the sheep and he is doing what he is told to do by his father. His older brothers are in the army. They are at the battle and David's father wants to know how they're doing. So he sends David on an errand to go check on his brothers and how things are going. If that makes sense, say amen. Now, let's read. Uh, uh, I did it again. Uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, Brother Willie, help me out there. Uh, here we go. Let's, let's, let's put it up here uh, so I can see here. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now, so whose idea was it for David to go see the battle? It was his father. His father gave him specific instructions on what to do. So David doing this, he was being obedient to his, his father. And there's a reason I'm saying this. Now Saul and they and all the men, the they is the brethren, all right, David's brothers, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had. So, so he was doing what he was supposed to do. Am I right? Okay. As Jesse commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted, for the back. I love, boy, David's spunky, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, just, just excited about being there. All right, keep on. And David, thank you, sir. And for, uh, see, for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Now, let's see, we're right here in my Bible here. Verse number 22. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And by the way, he had been doing that for 40 days before David ever, ever arrived on the scene. So, so this is not something new. Those men have heard this day after day, after day, after day. Nobody, nobody would engage him. Nobody would take up the fight. Nobody would take the responsibility, nobody, till David showed up. Be careful when the right man hears it. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Now, watch this. Watch this. And all, how many? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be. It shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches 
and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the uh, uh, men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Now, now in Alabama, in Alabama, this is how we would translate that verse. In da- when David heard what the men said would happen to the man that went and killed this giant, this is what David said. To what? <laughs> Say what? what? What will happen to the man that does this? He's going to be enriched. He's going to get the king's daughter. His house is going to make. Say what? Y'all with me? All right. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner saying, so shall it be done to the man that killed him. They they rehearsed it again, told him what, what happened. And Eliab, his eldest brother, look out for the brethren. When he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a call? Let's say it. Is there not a call? Everybody say it. Is there not a call? One more time with fair of you. Y'all help me now. You ready? David is saying, what's your problem? Shouldn't I be upset? Shouldn't I be angry at this situation? Shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be embarrassed that a heathen is coming down in a valley and defying almighty God? David's saying, I don't know why you're not upset. Is there not a cause? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the people that's here. Thank you for the souls that are being saved. Thank you for the languages that are being translated the gospel so that they can hear and know and believe in you and bring glory and honor to you. God, help me today. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. Don't let me get in the flesh. Lord, don't let me forget anything I should. I pray that we'll all leave here excited, encouraged, uh, Lord, just so elated for what you are doing, ready to tackle the impossible. God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say it. Amen. Let's continue reading. Let's continue reading. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. Now words getting around about this little scrappy fellow who's got a problem with this giant, right? Saul hears about it. And they sent for him. Saul's the king. He's the leader. He's the one that should have been in the valley in the first place. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go down and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou are what? You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, 
Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, not only, yeah, amen. Boy, I'm liking David, amen. The Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with. Don't you love that? I ain't going, but God bless you. And Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail and David girded his sword upon his arm and he essayed to go. Isn't that something that somebody's going to put off on somebody, the armor they should be wearing to fight the fight that they should be fighting? David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. And David put them off him and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had. Even in a script, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. I, I, I've heard a statement, you know, I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I heard a priest say one time the reason he picked five stones is because Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's why he did it. I don't know if he just thought he might miss the first four times or not. I don't know. Or whether he said, I got something for your brothers too. Bring him on out here. And as scrappy as David was, that sounds like something that would be true. Amen. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man went and bare his shield, went before him. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy. And ruddy means red, had a red complexion, most likely had red hair, and, 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 uh, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Man, David ain't getting no respect from nobody. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, into the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord. Say amen. The God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day, Will the Lord deliver thee into my hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Now read it with me. That all the earth, everybody read it, help me. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And everybody read verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord. Say that again. Everybody say it. And he will give you into our hands. Now I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there because you know the rest of the story. You know, David ran unto him, ran at him and the whole Philistine army. And he threw that stone with that sling. Everybody knows what happened. Hit him in the forehead. God took his hand behind Goliath's head and slammed him to the ground. And David cut his head off. Somebody say amen. The little guy wins. I'm always for the little guy. He beat Goliath. He did the impossible. But here's the message today. Here's the message. 
First of all, first of all, I want you to write this down. We have, you remember what I said? You remember what I said? The theme of this story is the point of this story. The reason God put this story in the Bible is so you would know that the impossible is possible with God. This is an impossible feat. When you look at it, humanly speaking, it is impossible. And when we see achieve, when we think about getting a Bible in every village, getting a gospel presence in every village, planting a church in every village on the planet, it seems impossible in the, in the atmosphere that we're living in, in the chaos of this world, in the, in the serious decline spiritually of the world and things getting worse and worse and worse. It seems impossible. But I want y'all to know with God, all things are possible. Now, so we have a little guy. We have a little guy. He's young. He's young. He's scrappy. Now, by the way, he's got an anointing on him. If you go to the chapter before, you'll find out that Samuel's done anointed him. The spirit of God is upon him. He's got the touch of God on him and the spirit of God in him. And he comes and he sees this issue. He sees the need, if you will. He sees the need. He sees the situation. And he gets stirred up on the inside. He doesn't like what's going on. He doesn't like what he sees. He doesn't like where it seems like evil is winning and evil is leading. And, he, and in his heart, he wants to do something about it. In his heart, he knows something needs to be done. Somebody needs to take a stand. Somebody needs to come forward and attempt the impossible. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, I want you to see this. Number one. Now, we're all shouting, bless God, amen, amen. We're we're all about, because everybody likes the underdog story, right? I mean, everybody, I guarantee you, everybody in the whole nation was cheering for Appalachia State against Texas A&M yesterday. (laughs) Including me. They like an underdog story. They like it when somebody attempts the impossible. But here's what I want you to see about this. Just as soon as somebody says, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to take it in here. I have a, I have a desire to do the impossible. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking that every child of God, every born again believer would get behind that brother and get excited about his excitement, get excited about his call, get excited about his vision, get excited about what he's going to do in the name of the Lord. But that ain't the case. That's not what happens. First of all, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thing. I want you to write, I want you to see the criticism he received. Isn't that something? The criticism he received. You finally got, you finally got a guy who is not afraid. You finally have somebody who is ready to go fight. And nobody else has volunteered. Nobody else has stepped forward. Nobody else has showed courage. Nobody else has said, hey, I'll go do this. Nobody. And now you finally got a guy who's willing. You finally got a guy who's ready to step out into that valley and take on the impossible. You would think God's people would get behind him and say, yeah. But that ain't the case. First of all, I want you to look at his own brothers. 
Eliab. Eliab, look what it says. Look what it says. In verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left the few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. First of all, he was criticized by the unwilling. He was criticized by the unwilling. And the unwilling criticized his motive. They criticized his motive. We know what you're down here for, you little whippersnapper. You just want to see what's going on. You're just nosy. That's what he's saying. Now, can y'all remember? Can y'all remember when we first started reading? Can y'all remember that he was following the command of his father? He was just doing what he was told to do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He's being obedient to the call of his father, being obedient to the command of his father, yet he gets disrespect and criticism from his brothers. I wish I could say that don't happen in churches today. It's amazing how, how, how somebody can get a command from the father and the greatest criticism he receives is from the brethren. Specifically the unwilling. The unwilling. Then, then the uninvolved. Write that down. Then he gets in front of Saul. You know the king. You know the leader of the band. You know the one that's supposed to be in front of everybody leading the charge. The one who's not willing to wear the armor to fight, but willing to let somebody else wear his own armor. I'd be ashamed. He's willing to let somebody else fight his fight. And let me, let me tell y'all something. The most criticism you're ever going to receive is going to be from the unwilling and the uninvolved. Well, preacher, I don't like how you're doing that. Well, I don't like how you're not doing it. I've never seen so many pastoral experts in all my life from people who's never pastored. I don't go into any, there's not one single auto mechanic shop. I've never gone into one single one in Coleman County and said, now look, you're not doing this right. Not one. I don't go into houses where carpenters in there and say, listen, I don't think you've got this right right here. The smartest coaches in the world are sitting on a couch with a remote in their hand. Every Saturday. What, what am I saying? Well, I'm saying to the uninvolved and the unwilling, if you're not willing to do nothing, at least keep your mouth shut. At least do that. But those who are willing are trying to do the impossible, you're trying to get the gospel to people, don't worry about critics. There's going to be critics. Travis, every time you started something, there's been critics. There's been critics of the Garden City Rescue Mission. There's been critics of the village. Brother Travis, is, he's, he's, he's full of kindness. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. I was in a meeting. I was in a meeting. They called me to this meeting. It was supposed to be with one person. One person. I want to meet with you and Travis. No problem. We'll meet. Come there. There's 20 people. 
20 people just raking us over the coals. I sat there quiet. Brother Travis said, shh. I'm getting it right up to here. Steady, brother. That's because he's like Jesus. I'm trying to be. I know his heart. I know the criticism he was getting in that moment was unjustified. He's a New Testament Christian. You turn the other cheek. I'm an Old Testament Christian. You spike me in my eye, I'm going to spike you in your eye. I'll get to the New Testament eventually. Pray for me. I need a witness. I know there's some Old Testament brothers in here. Come on. But just keep going, Travis. Listen, I've been criticized the whole time I've been at Temple. One of the first, one of the first opportunities to try to move forward we had at Temple was to, build, to finish the extra, the L part of that building. Remember that, Brother Mickle? Church was discouraged, had a handful of people, didn't have no room. Sunday school was being held in closets. I said, listen, let's just, let's just bite the bullet, borrow the money. It's 25000 That's how much it was. Now, I know to y'all, think, oh, that's the... Back then it was. Listen, I said, let's just believe God. Let's just get it and do it and build it. We had families going all over Coleman saying, he's going to take us into bankruptcy. <laughs> Criticizing everything we were doing. Now, I hadn't yet, but there's still time. Amen. <laughs> we, we, we still have time. That was about 1,800 people ago. Uh, you, you just... <laughs> well, can't you see a 500-seat auditorium right here on this hill? Y'all, y'all don't know this was here before. This used to be a hill. Can't you see a 500-seat auditorium? I'm a young man. I'm excited. I'm in my early 20s. I'm trying to project vision and trying to get them excited. Can't you see that? They said, no. <laughs> no. This is what they said. You can't do it. There's too many churches in Coleman. You can't do it. That just made me mad. You'll see. About in 2007, we were running about 400 people. And God was putting things in my heart and vision in my head about some things we needed to do different. And there again, there again, critics going around chirping. All over the place. Gathered all of them up in one room. That's how you handle it. Get them all together. In one room, we, had, we hashed it out, talked it out, explained it, and this was what was said. Exact words. Well, you won't be able to blame us when this don't work. That was exact words. My exact words were, it's going to work. 
Well, how do you know? I said, because God's the one told me to do it. That was about 1,500 people ago. And we had several families leave. And about 50 showed up to figure out why them left. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying anytime you do something for God, you might as well expect critics. And the critics are going to come from people who are unwilling and uninvolved. They're going to critique your motive, why you're doing what you're doing. And they're going to critique your ability. You can't do this. I know I can't, but God can now, here's, here's the response. Look at number two. We not only see, first of all, number one, say it with me, we see the, the criticism he received. Number two, we see the conduct he recorded. What did he do about the criticism? Travis, pay close attention. Pay close attention. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 17. Now, now, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back to verse number 29. Verse, or back up to verse 28. Elias criticized and said, I know, why, I know why you're here. It's your pride, the naughtiness of your heart. You just wanted to come down and see what was going on. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Watch this now. Verse 30, read the first sentence. And watch this. I love this. He gets criticized by his brother. He said, isn't there a reason to be upset? Is there not a cause? Hey, what'd you say what happened to the man? He completely ignored his critic. Don't give them the time of day. Don't listen. Don't be engaged with the critic. Don't argue with the critic. Never argue with the critic. Never, 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 never. If you know God's put something in your heart, if you know that you're on assignment for the Father, if you know you're in the right, don't listen one single minute to a critic. He just completely turned from him, didn't even, he just said, say that again. Hello. Let me tell you what you'll do if you start engaging a critic and start listening to a critic. You'll start second guessing what God's put in your heart. That critic didn't send you. And by that way, by, by the way, that critic is not the one that's going to support you in the battle either. Hello. Amen. Not only did he in, ignore the critic, but watch this. When Saul, when Saul, you remember what Saul said? You can't do this. You can't do this. This is what he said. He said, well, let me tell you what I have done. <clears throat> let me tell you what God has done for me. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. When you're, when you're being criticized by the unwilling and the uninvolved, when, when, when listen, they, they question, when they question your motive, don't even engage. That, that was one thing that I saw in that meeting with Brother Travis. They, they were saying stuff about his motive, why he was doing what he was doing. Calling him a bleeding heart liberal Democrat. Oh, yeah, 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 that was in there. 
I'm probably not supposed to be saying none of this, but I'm pastor and I'm going to say it. <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's probably nervous right now about what I'm going to say, but that's all I'm going to say, Brother Travis. They're questioning his motive. They have no idea who he is. They have no idea the bridges he's been under and the people he's helped feed and the, and, the, and the times he's been out in the rain and in the storm to try to get shelter to people, the time he's been out in the cold and the snow trying to help people, questioning his motive. Just ignore them. But when they tell you you can't do it, that's when you rehearse what God has already done. Let me tell you something. God has been good to Temple Baptist Church. God did it in the first building. God did it in the second building. God did it in the third building. God has done it in the past. He's done it in the present. And bless God, he's going to do it in the future. Give him praise and glory and honor. Just rehearse what God has done. Well, let me tell you about the lion. Let me tell you about the bear. Let me tell you, this uncircumcised Philistine, he ain't going to be no different than them two. God gave them into my hand. God's going to give this one into my hand. Get out the, where's my sling? And by the way, critics will try to make you into something you ain't. This is not even in the message, but I'm going to throw this in. Saul tried to put the armor, his armor, on David, trying to conform David into something David wasn't. You me tell you what he's doing? That's called projecting. They're wanting him to be what he knows he should be. And usually when people criticize you for doing something for God, all they're doing is saying, I want you to be what I should be. Hello. We having fun this morning? Rehearse what God has already done. Now, number three, that, that's all intro. This is the message. David asked a question that's really important. Some of y'all wonder why we're doing these boxes. And if truth be known, you, you criticize. You criticize. You've been uninvolved. You had not even taken one of these home. I know that. I know that's the truth. Because if you had taken one home and done what you're supposed to do, it already been back with something in it. Because God answers prayer. And I know that hadn't happened because there's more than a thousand people to go to church here. And I know of several people, including myself, that's done giving a bunch of these boxes already. So that means there's a bunch of people that hadn't given one. So there's a lot of unengaged, uninvolved. And I hope it don't mean you're unwilling. I hope it just means you needed to hear this message today. Because in order to get the gospel to every creature, is that our, is that our calling? Did God command? Come on now. Come on, stay with me now. Don't look down. We're not praying. Look at me. Everybody, come on. Look here. Did God command the church to get the gospel to every creature? Is it God's will for there to be a church in every village, everywhere? Amen. Then we got to do this. We have to be involved in making it happen. Are y'all with me? Amen. Now, so we can't be unwilling. We might be uninvolved, but I hope it's not because you're unwilling to make it happen. Because this is a direct command from God. And if we don't do it, we're disobeying a direct command from God. Now, watch this. I want you to catch this. 
This is, matter of fact, the whole message is so I could tell you this right here. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we excited about a church in every village everywhere? Why do we rejoice when we see all these languages and and people celebrating and people uh, uh, praising God in all of these languages? Why should we be excited? Why should we have a passion like David and say, hey, somebody needs to do something? He said, is there not a cause? There's a cause that we see. What is the cause? Hey, this is going to sound, this is going to be the most redneckest points you've ever had in your entire life. I mean, it's going to sound like a redneck from Alabama wrote point A, B, and C right here. You say, preacher, what is the cause? Number one or A, there's a giant that needs killing. There's a giant that needs killing. David is saying, is there not a cause? Isn't there a giant down there raising Cain, cussing our God, defying the armies of Israel? Don't I have a reason to be upset? Don't I have a reason to be excited? Shouldn't I be? Hello. There's a giant and he's killing. Say, preacher, what's our giant? A church in every village everywhere. That's a big deal. That's an impossible task. That is something that when man sees it, it is a hard thing. It seems impossible. But ladies and gentlemen, giants were put on this earth for the purpose of killing. God, yes. I want to get to that third point quick, but I got, let's B, B. What's the first thing? What's the cause? A, there is a. Then B, write this down. There's a God that needs believing. There's a God that needs believing. Look at the verse. Look at the verse. First Samuel 17. And by the way, by the way, David, this is what David is saying when he gets down into the valley. Now, in other words, David's saying, this is why I'm down here. Y'all with me? And it ain't because I'm going to get the king's daughter. He didn't, he didn't go down in that valley. He didn't go down in that valley and say, hey, as soon as I take your head off, it's wedding bells for me. I'm going to be rich. My family's going to be free. Woo! He didn't say none of those things. Matter of fact, matter of fact, the reason he said do what? Because he couldn't even believe that the king would offer that for somebody to do it. Because he thought somebody ought to do it for free. And he's wondering why it hadn't already been done. Hello. So David tells the real reason why he's down in this valley. It's not the king's daughter. It's not the riches. It's not to be tax free. This is the real reason. Look what he says. <clears throat> Look what it says. Verse, verse, first Samuel 17, 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air, into the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Reason I'm down here, sir, I'm going to kill you. 
And when I kill you, little old runny, ruddy, red complexion me, I'm going to take your life and this whole earth is going to know that there's a God in Israel. You know why we need to try to accomplish the impossible? So this world can know there's a God who can. Why, does, why do we need to have a church in every village everywhere? Because every person in every village everywhere needs to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them with every fiber of their being. There's a God that needs believing. Then see, write this down and put your seatbelts on. A, A, say it with me. There's a, there's, would y'all agree with that? There's a giant. And he, now, now, keep in mind, these points are David's cause. This is David's cause. He's revealing the cause. What's the cause? There's a giant and he's killing. B, there is a. Then C, there's a group that needs convincing. Watch this. Watch this. First <clears throat> Samuel 47. In verse 46, he said, all the earth. That means, that means all the Philistines, all the Israelites, everybody's going to know there's a God in Israel. Now, here's the thing. Verse 46 is primarily to the Philistines. Because the Israelites know there's a God in Israel, they're just not acting like it. So he is saying primarily, I'm going to kill you so all your brothers on that other mountain... They're going to know they mess with the wrong people. There's a God in Israel. But now watch what he says. Not only, not only does that crowd, the, the lost crowd needs to see there's a God. But watch this. Verse 47. And this what? Who do you think he's talking about? His brethren. The Israelites. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. Say it with me. For he's saying to Goliath, he said, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to take your head from you so that your people will know that God is real. The impossible is going to happen today so you'll know it's God. Not only that. But all them people up here behind me who's scared and hiding in them tents, they need to understand that it ain't that the battle's not going to be won with their swords and their spears and their, their military might. All my brethren need to know that the battle is the Lord's. There's a people that needs convincing. Now look, everybody look at me. I'm done. I done went over time, but I need you to see this. You see this right here? Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me up in the balcony. Everybody, Fairview here. Y'all see this? Everybody look. Everybody see this? Everybody, everybody looking at me. Everybody wave at me if you see me. Come on. I want to, I want you, I want to know you see me. You mean, let me tell you what this purpose, let me tell you what the purpose of this for. So you could grow in your faith. God's going to, God's going to get the gospel, but God wants to use you to do it. Listen, here's the point. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. The reason you need to take this home and actually pray and say, God, help me feel this. 
help me plant a church where there is no church is so you can see God do it. Because you're not convinced. You're not convinced. You're still struggling in your finances. You're struggling with the economy. You're struggling with what's going on and happening in the world. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, what about the recession? What about inflation? What about what's happening? What about the interest rates that are going to go up? But see, you're failing to, you're missing the point. That God's economy doesn't work by the U.S. economy. Or the world's economy. Do you know that when the world is failing, when our economy is failing, you can be prospering? But not if you don't put no faith. You me tell you the one thing this has done with a lot of people in our church. They've taken this home. They've got involved. Say that with me. They've gotten involved. They've taken this home. They've prayed over it. God has filled it. And their faith has shot through the roof. Because they seen God put something in here that didn't have anything to do with their normal budget. And the only way it got in there is because God did it. And you know what that does? They see God do the impossible. And they believe more in God. And they're convinced that God can. And they're not, only, they're not only providing a church in a village somewhere that does not have a church, but they're bringing faith and confidence in their life and courage in their life so they can fight the battles that's front of them in their own life and in their own family. And they're teaching their children, hey, you can trust in God. This isn't just about missions. This isn't, this isn't just, this is an opportunity for you to take on the impossible so you can see God do the impossible. So you can go around and see what a mighty God we serve. Now watch, hold on. You will never know that God is the God of the impossible until you have an impossible problem. You'll never know God can live give you the strength to do the impossible until you attempt the impossible. And there's so many of you, there's so many of you, you're thinking I'm just after after your money. I'm trying to build your faith. I have seen God do this over and over and over and over in my life. In my life. I'm going to say this one time and and, and I'm done. I told you all this before. I told you all this before, but our staff was struggling with this a little bit. Of all people. And so one staff meeting, I went in there and I placed a box in front of all of them. And I gave them all a Sharpie. And I think I've already said this, but some of y'all need reminded. I said, right on there, give me a story. All of the staff people. Because I, I don't want to ask you to do something. Our staff, we're going to lead by example. Give me a story. And I miscounted. My mathematician skills are not all that. So I had an extra box. I put one in front of me. Put one in front of everybody. One in front of me and I had the extra one. I was going to take it back. Put it back on the pile. God said, no, you keep that one too. I said, okay, I'll keep both of them. I made them all right. Give me a story. And I said, when you pray, you take this home, you put it on your counter and you pray over it every day till God gives you a story. Till God fills that and gives you an answer to prayer that only God could do. 
And I said, I'm going to take both of these. I said, I miscounted. We got an extra, but God said to take that one too, so I'm going to take that one too. That was on Tuesday. On Thursday, I was at Brandon Iron Steakhouse. My daughter had come and visited, had a little carter with me, having a big time. I walk up to the counter, go to pay my bill. Somebody come up behind me and took out their, their credit card and put, put their credit card and said, Preacher, I got this. No, no, man, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm going to buy yours. Nope, nope. Here. He kept fumbling, kept fumbling in his wallet, and, and he, pulled out, he pulled out something that was all folded up. And he handed it in my hand. He said, you'll know what to do with this. His exact words. You'll know what to do with this. I put it in my pocket, got in my truck. Got in my truck, I unfolded it. It was 10 $100 bills. That was enough for three and a half churches at the time. I spread it out on my armrests. With a grin on my face. I took a picture of it and sent it to the entire staff. I said, I got mine. <laughs> Look what God did. Every dime went to plant a church where there was no church. Here's the thing. You'll never see God do something until you take a step of faith. This is an opportunity to see a miracle happen in your living room. Please don't sit back and be a critic. If you're going to be a critic, just keep your mouth shut. If you don't want to get involved, that's fine. But don't criticize those who are trying to kill a giant. Don't criticize their motive. Don't criticize their ability. Because we're going to see God do amazing things. And all God's people say it.